Athlete Mindset is part of the CadSource Podcast Network. At CadSource, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CadSource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CadSource Podcast Network. This is the Athlete Mindset Podcast, and it's all about mental health in sports. Presented and produced by Sports Eat Plus, part of the CadSource Podcast Network. Athlete Mindset is hosted by Lisa Bontasumi. Lisa is a therapist and mental performance consultant to high-performing athletes at the youth, collegiate, and professional levels. Lisa also works with teams, coaches, and other members of the sports ecosystem. The Athlete Mindset Podcast is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. I am Eric Kazimov, founder of CadSource and the creator of Sports C+. I'm hosting the Athlete Mindset Podcast on this platform as I deeply believe these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. I'm super excited today on the Athlete Mindset Podcast to have Candice Fabry for so, so many reasons. We have a friendship, we have a collegiality, we have shared passion and vision on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But I want to just give her a chance to say hello, introduce her a little bit, and we're going to have a conversation. So Candice, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy human in this world. So thank you for coming on with me. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. And I know this has been a little bit coming with the schedules that are between our work lives, our personal lives. And so I've appreciated the opportunity. But yeah, currently I'm a, a Kansas City, Kansas resident. I always laugh because it's the KCK or KC Mo side, <laughs> obviously. So I'm, I'm just used to going KCK and I'm like, oh, slow up. It's Kansas City, Kansas. I'm currently sitting in. I get to head to Orlando though in a little bit for an event. So we had our first snowfall a couple of days ago. One my son, not happy, uh, not happy at all. And my daughter, literally the opposite going, I want it to be Christmas right now. So I it was, know. and I think I was somewhere in the middle because I didn't have to shovel. So I was okay with it. But then like, all right, I'm not quite ready either. So we're sitting at least a little bit warmer temps right now and, and kind of gearing up for the holidays. But yeah, no, it's, it's really great in terms of the work you do and, and the support. And, you know, as an owner of Fearless and Capable, something that's only a couple of years old, we're still in the toddler phase as I like to think of it. And then also, you know, in the coaching world on a, a pretty regular basis at this point with Ottawa University outside of Kansas City, it's an NAIA yep. school. Yep. And then the Casey Courage, which is a professional amateur women's team that mainly competes in the summertime. So yeah, it's it's busy. I'm a mom, like I said. And so, exactly. Yeah, all mean, of it. We are women in this world, working women. We are parents. We are co-parents. We are... And then we're our own selves and like our own identities. There's so many hats that we wear. <laughs> we forget about it. Yes. I took care of myself last night. I went and got my hair done, which has been so long. And I love my hairdresser because she's like, we'll just cover the sparkles. And I was like, there are so many sparkles right now. whole. <laughs> fall season and everything in my life right now. So I did. I took care of myself and, you know, enjoyed the time and relaxed. And so I, I did. I, I made sure that identity was there, which was 
cover the sparkles and, and I love it. Relax sparkles, that reframe. I like it. Well, it looks fabulous. It looks fabulous. <laughs> I mean, you spoke of fearless and capable. This is your venture, your program, a female-led mentorship program that supports women working in the sports industry, right? With mentoring that attracts and retains more women in the industry and promotes females developing into leaders within the sport. Like what? What inspired you to build something like Fearless and Capable? Honestly, my own lived experiences to mm-hmm. start and you know what I remember starting out. And, and I say starting out, let's go all the way back to when I was 14, 15, 16, uh-huh. 17 years old. And I was fortunate. I had female coaches as a, a young player, uh, but I knew when I kind of was doing these little coaching camps and different things, it was pretty male led. And so when I went out of college into coaching, it was still and still is male led. And and the mentors I found were one, they were good. I'm not here without them. I, I really do give credit to them. But there were certain pieces and parts of my path that a female mentor would have been really, really great to have. And so through my own lived experiences and honestly talking to women on a daily basis about what is going on in their own careers. And I was doing this before Fearless and Capable really was developed, but I was doing like mentorship and networking and connecting with women in the industry before Fearless and Capable through groups like the Iowa Women in Soccer Alliance I created. And, mm-hmm. you know, really was was sitting in a virtual space for most of it, but the ideas were the same. And really through the pandemic, as most of us did, a deep reflection of, is this really where I want to spend my time and my efforts? And I'm a pretty process-oriented person. I think about how we go from A to B to C and D. And I was like, I think I could combine those skill sets and bring something that women, no matter where they live, who they work for, the position they hold, my hope is they don't feel isolated. They feel supported. They feel like they can find something relatable in what we do and the people we have involved that they never leave the the industry of sport because they feel like no one sounds like me, no one looks like me, no mm-hmm. one knows what my lived experiences feel like and honestly manifest in what they do, you know, whether on the field, in the office setting or whatever it may be. Because yeah, it's just it's such a better world when we have that representation of, you know, minorities and marginalized people in sport. I think it just makes for a better experience for everyone. Um, it brings different ideas and thoughts. So yeah, I really manifested out of a couple of things, including lived experiences, the network I had, some mm-hmm. things I had tried, and then was like, I'm putting my heart and soul into this. And so that's really where it came. And and those words mean a lot. It's kind of things I try to live by on a daily basis. It doesn't always happen to a 110%, but it's certainly those two words I look at kind of you know, honestly, actually in front of me and then, you know, kind of figuratively as I go throughout my day and my kids kind of laugh at me at at moments and they go, are you being fearless and capable right now? (laughs) And I throw it back at them um, in different environments. I'm like, you're being pretty fearless. And they'll go, and capable. So they they like it as well. So it's kind of a, a fun family little inspirational uh, moments at times. Yeah, well, it's it's broadened out beyond your family. I love that it's there, but it's it's very impactful on a lot of levels. Like I'm inspired and impassioned by your dedication to this. And I love the words myself, fearless and capable. I mean, when you talk about your lived experience, I mean, you played collegiately, you have coached, you're in development, soccer development at the ODP level. You're 
a grassroots instructor and really are breaking through a lot of different spaces and and barriers. I mean, your lived experience became public in a very abrupt way just last month when news broke about abuse in the NWSL and you were asked to comment very publicly about your thoughts on abuse in sports, abuse in female soccer, abuse in Mm -hmm. in NWSL. Like You said that it's not surprising. I wanted to talk to you more about how come you feel like that? Can you say more about how come it's not surprising? And you have to share from your heart with us for that. One, my own lived experiences, again, of being someone that was a victim of and victim survivor, however we want to, you know, frame it. I think it's it's somewhat of a personal choice when we use yes. those words. I tend to use survivor. It, it feels more ex- empowering. And, and honestly, I've been transitioning to lived experiences, I think, more and more in my language with it. But I have, you know, suffered that at, at the hands of what was my head coach turned boss at the university level and was really my entry point into coaching was the day that I committed to stay on and, and coach is the day he pushed me into a coat closet and sexually assaulted me. And honestly, what I come to now know is, is he actually, he raped me. And I, I didn't know the definitions of rape and the, mm. the spectrum in which it includes. And I think that's mm. another piece of education that mm-hmm. needs to happen. Um, but it's because a lot of times, obviously when an experience like that can happen to you or happens to someone, you know, you care about, you're really trying to reconcile what has occurred. And so the non-surprise factor is that I really can't look around and point at very many women. And honestly, if we look at it, very many men that likely did not experience some sort of abuse, verbal, harassment, emotional, physical, and, and obviously sexual. And, and I, I think that's so sickening when we think about it. And I one, I think it stems from a handful of of areas of how we view what a coach is, what they're allowed to do, what they're permitted in the sports arena space, the boundaries that don't exist in a lot of ways, and the lack of accountability to what administration or decision makers have when it comes to going, even though there's success, there can also be an immense amount of abuse. And so, you know, just in being someone who's been more open, despite it being a very public setting, you know, this year about what happened to me, it did take me a while. It took me about seven years to get public about what had happened. But, mm-hmm. you know, I had been kind of trickling things out right after it happened. And then for years, but I did what a lot of us do when things like that suppress it. Doesn't, didn't happen. Didn't happen. I'll only talk about it if mm-hmm. I, I really need to. And, you know, what I found in, in my own healing and then honestly, an understanding why there's no surprises, once I did do a few public pieces on it and really started from a, a Facebook post I made uh, during the Me Too movement and the Brett Kavanaugh hearings where there was a lot of question on how does she not know what she was wearing or what day it was? And so I mm. made a very public post that said, I don't remember I know I was wearing a red t-shirt and shorts. I don't know if it was a short sleeve or a long sleeve. I actually don't know what day it was, but I can tell you the time frame it was. But you know what I do remember? <laughs> I, you know, went into those graphic details of things, you know, and saying, listen, you know, to to put a woman on a spot on every detail of something like this is is really unfair and and not appropriate. But long story short, that then got me into some <laughs> public spaces. One, my healing, I think, exponentially improved. To the network of finding out other 
women and men mm-hmm. have been victims of this is mm-hmm. astounding and sad. And there's not really a time I speak on this publicly that I don't get some response from someone. And so, yeah, the surprise is not there. And I remember uh, when I was initially talking to the the one reporter this past year from The Guardian, and we were going through, you know, what my lived experiences had been as an athlete and then as a college player and in the division one space and looking to be a college coach. And his words were, Well, why would you stay? If your playing days were so filled with abuse in the four days, why would you have or four years, excuse me, why would you have stayed to coach for him if it was so bad? And I thought that's a great question. And you know why? I didn't know any different. I told him like right. what what was telling me what he was doing was counterproductive that would have lasting impacts on my life, my mental health, my physical. What in the world of sports and education told me what he was doing wasn't right and would have a long-term negative impact? Right. 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 I just thought that's what they do. Right. So I got into it. And then when I got into coaching, I met good people. I met good mentors. And that's where I started looking and going, well, I know I'm not doing very well. Like I came out of college, at least with the self-awareness that I'm physically, mentally, emotionally not in a good state. And it stems from a lot of things that had happened within the pitch field, you know, within playing or whatever. And when I started to find other people doing things differently in the coaching spectrum and, and even to today, my coaching style has dramatically changed. My beliefs, my ideals, the principles I live by as a coach, you know, my methodology, all of it. All of it because I I now educate others to there is a long lasting impact to that. And that's why abuse is not surprising is because it's so systematic and it starts yes. young. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for telling your story. Thank you for sharing your lived experience. It takes a lot. I know you said seven years before you could really mm-hmm. and that that process needs to be respected individual to individual about when. Yeah. People feel like they can come forward or want to or inspired to, but it takes the own level of healing, right? I mean, you've yeah. touched on a lot of different things, you know, not remembering what you were wearing. I mean, that's the psychological process of dissociation that happens Got when it. we are trying to protect ourselves from the act or the acts or the situation. 100%. You know, our brain tries to detach because it's too alarming, dangerous, upsetting, all those things, right? So that. Yeah. People don't understand that part of it, the psychological process that happens when we are abused and what our psyche does to protect us from that. You know, not knowing that, that it can be different is the, I mean, epitome of the abuse of power, right? Yeah. Like you just came into a position that you've been wanting, that you've, you know, now in. And so this is happening the same day. That's not a coincidence. Like that that is absolutely not a coincidence and that there is a right that sometimes people have because Mm -hmm. they have a position over you or power over you now have granted you, quote unquote, not that you've not earned it, granted you this position now. And this is part of the role. You got to deal with this thing now. And what we found out, you know, and or what (laughs) I say, we, I, I say that there's other victims of the same individual that assaulted me. I'm not alone. Statistically, no surprise to anyone again that there was more. But what was was really interesting to that point alone is that there was approximately three or four, and I say approximately because there's one that I've only heard through the grapevine might be another victim. But you know, we had played for him, 
Mm. And so that grooming that we don't recognize, and that's a hard word to even say that is a part of what was probably happening to you. And that's that's something that I've had to process and, and to be frank and honest, still do, that there was a grooming to it, that there was a moment of vulnerability. I had just actually broken up with my boyfriend a couple of weeks before that happened. I was actually in a position of choosing the position that I, I took at that university versus another one. Where's my next steps in life? And that is the same of a handful of the other women. Relationships were up in the air, life decisions on where to go next, up in the air. And this seems like a savior to us, somebody we have hmm. supposed to want trust. We're supposed to because it's a coach, right? You're supposed to trust this power figure. Two, they've granted you an opportunity that you feel appreciative of. Right. And then you're looking at this space and suddenly going, well, I am an adult. I'm not a child. And typically it was mixed with alcohol. So then there's a very guilty piece that you were, you know, you're guilty of something. You're, you asked for it. You know, those, those reconciliations that we don't even want to go through, to be frank right. and honest. And we do, right. and we, we skew it towards our fault and not his. But the interesting part to go with that is that two other victims had not played and the time in which it took for, in quotes, him to break them down. No, quoted by them, a couple years to five years. The same amount of time you think about the time we spent playing for him. He's in it for the long term. And to sit back now and think about how systematic that was and how terrifying that concept is, is that these are real things that happen in this game. And right. to know that as women, we're having to process this. And we're not at a spot where we can process it. And then to expect us to process it, report it, maybe follow through on police reports and arrest and all of these things. It's <laughs> it's way too much in what these statutes of limitations are trying to And put. it's re-traumatizing, Candace. You have to every read it every single time. Yeah. Talk to me, Candace, about the grooming process. How do you understand that now? It's for any listener out there who's like, yeah. she's talking about grooming. What does that mean? I think... You know, in the most basic terms, there's rapport created between the predator and the prey. So there's rapport and there's trust created. And that's that can be through multiple ways. And I even say that the, the trust and the rapport I had with him was not this, oh, he loves me. He wants the best for me. The guy broke me down. Mm. Sport tells you breaking down will make you better. They break mm. you down so they can build you up. So think about mm. the, the mindset I was under. Mm -hmm. So... To me, he is a benefit because he actually cares about me and what I can accomplish because he is breaking me down. That's mm. the mindset I'm in, all right? right? So you have the grooming that can be trust and rapport through affectionate comments, things like that, that create this trust. And it's a very mirror-glazed trust. You know, there's you're not seeing through all of this, but it looks shiny and it looks great. And... For what I can understand now, and I look back at certain situations, my parents were, they officially divorced my freshman year of college. That was a huge life shift, okay? And I was a player who came in my freshman year. I played every single minute of my freshman year. Not a totally normal situation. Right. So was very much a player that got time, got attention, but then attention also comes with the negative. You're not good enough. You know, you need to get better, blah, blah, blah. 
Then you go into, I had a, an injury, a massive injury that actually made me re- medically redshirt a year. So I'm medically redshirted and I'm trying to figure out my role, my identity, which is, mm-hmm. you know, as a player being stripped mm-hmm. away in a lot of ways. But I'm also realizing I like coaching. And you know why I'm liking coaching is he's look, he's asking me questions about the game. Mm. So he's shown a little bit of compassion when my parents were divorcing and I was kind of going through that my freshman year. Then he shows a little bit of compassion when I'm injured and says, take a season to recover. And I'm taking this as things that are going, okay, he does care about me. Right. He does want the best for me. Then he's asking me questions as a coach and I'm going, this is, he thinks I can coach. He's telling me you can coach. Now the truth could be, he did think I could coach. There's an absolute truth to that. But when we got to the point of that evening being there and the thing that happened, I realized my blind trust that he would have my true intentions at the forefront of being a good human being, being a role model to me, being a mentor to me was all to create this ability for me to succumb in a moment and then have to decide if I say anything or not. Cause he's married with two kids. And his wife is at the restaurant the night it happens. I have yet to struggle. I have at this point realized in the grooming, I've struggled to question him because Uh questioning him is a big issue. Uh So you think at this point, I'm going to question him outwardly and publicly after this. He's counting on you not to. Correct. So that grooming is some sort of trust and rapport. Even if the trust is, I trust you are not going to say anything because you know what it's like if you speak out against me. Right. You know the power. And so that's the best way I can kind of break it down to the simplest Mm -hmm. terms is something like that is created. And it's not always through what we think of like, you know, unicorns and rainbows and you're so great. It can happen in these really difficult negative ways that you don't realize are creating some sort of attachment to this person that you're, you're struggling to really even understand because you're like, I hate him with everything I have, but yet I'm sticking around. Yeah, it's that that abusive relationship that you know, unfortunately, a lot of women find themselves in. Is why you stick around. Well, for sure. Yeah, they kind of tell me I'm okay. So yeah, it's tough. yeah. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I want everyone to hear that parents, coaches, athletes themselves to understand that dynamic. Sorry, I'm going to add leadership to that because that is the hardest thing that people in these decision making positions that could do something about it. They look at me and they're like, well, you were drinking, weren't you? Well, yeah, I was 21. I was capable. I was legally allowed to drink. You know, those questions of things that you look at it and go, you are not putting the context of the power position he was in. Exactly. So those are things I just added, like make sure our leaders are listening yes. to this too, to have some context because a lot, a lot of times they too, leaders have been in a power position potentially for a long time and they've yes. kind of forgotten what it's like to be lower on the totem pole. So. Anyways. And the natural dynamic and tendency to blame the victim, quote unquote, or blame the person that right. this thing happened to, who was abused. Like you were wearing something seductive, you were drinking, <laughs> you were, why are you out this late anyway? Yeah. It's like that again is also very re-traumatizing and okay. blaming and judgmental and uncompassionate. I mean, yeah. as we think about all these people that we just listed, I, I see them as like members of the sport ecosystem, right? All Correct. members of it. What would you want them to be aware of and conscious about when it comes to abuse and, and sexual abuse, the, the manipulation of power and control? What would you want them to know about? 
if I look at progress that needs to be made, and I do try to harp on a lot of what can we do next is we got to have trauma-informed training. Mm. We've got to make it a part of what anybody in positions of power, and, and that's even to an assistant coach, a trainer, anybody that has authority over an athlete and what path they take and and not even just authority over athletes, authority over staff, you know, mm-hmm. supporting the athletes mm-hmm. is that trauma is unfortunately a part of so many people and their lived experiences outside of sport, in sport and outside of sport. Mm-hmm. And if the space I enter into a conversation, a discussion, even a, hey, introduce yourself and I bring up anything in relation to my trauma, everybody's response body language wise usually goes eyes down, shoulders over, and they don't know what to say. They're uncomfortable. And I I can totally get that. I totally can relate and understand to, I don't know much about this space. I can tell and know you're probably hurt, but I don't know what to do. So having trauma-informed training, helping this ecosystem to realize this is actually way more common than it Mm -hmm. ever should be, Instead of ignoring it and not understanding the support and resources that might be needed for individuals, being open to it, be someone that can look in them in the eye, you know, say, I'm sorry, at the, the most basic, I'm sorry this happened to you and be willing to listen because, uh-huh. you know, I've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, we look at the player coach relationship in creating psychologically safe environments. Uh-huh. And I can say, listen, when my tone goes more direct, right? I get more, lack of a better term, an angry tone when I coach, all right? So I'm demanding. That can trigger something in a player that if I don't understand what might have occurred to them or even give them the space to understand that that is something that they've had to experience and can be a trigger for them... I'm not doing my job as a coach and to then look at them and say, well, why aren't you listening to me? Yeah. Well, their head's in a million different spaces because this tone, it's Pavlong's dog. The tone says, I'm in trouble and there is something bad that's on the other end of that tone. And realizing, and, and I've, I've had to break that down as a coach and, and honestly just be transparent and say, I'm going to get in a demanding tone. And so before I ever get there with teams, I go, I'm going to get there. It's going to happen. It's going to be in a demand. It's going to be these. But what I've tried to do on the front end of that is create the trust and rapport that I am there as someone who does support. So when I get angry, I am sure to one, follow up with the players that I know that is a trigger for and saying, hey, like we're good. Can I explain this in a different way? Is there something Uh else you need? Uh And then two, acknowledging that that is not a a tone I should be in very often Uh and that it's, it's associated with a desire of belief and confidence in them, not a negative slam to who they are, what they're doing. It's always a, I believe in you when it comes through. And so what I say with that is, is you have to be self reflective. Yeah. If you're not reflecting on your activities, the way you speak, the way you hold yourself, and then you're not trauma informed and you're not sure how to respond to these situations, you're putting yourself and you're putting your players in a really hard situation to say, this is a successful environment, I mean, that I'm going to thrive, not just survive, I'm going to thrive in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Trauma informed at all levels, like you said, from leadership all the way down the way we talk about our experiences, the way we're curious, the way we're self-aware. 
as organizations, as clubs, as coaches, all super, super important. I can't appreciate you enough for saying and sharing all that you have. I know that's part of your healing process to be here and show up. It's going to touch people. It's going to, I mean, if one person listens to this, then our job is done. I'm satisfied because then that person's probably going to share it with someone else, et cetera, et cetera. You know, your lived experience, your story is inspiring. And and it's a lot of things, inspiring, sad, fearless. Um, <laughs> it's so many things. Upon reflection, Candice, you know, we've talked about your multiple identities as a woman, a former player. Mm-hmm a coach, you're still a coach, a survivor, not a victim, a survivor, which is your personal choice, Mm -hmm. a mom. Mm -hmm. What would you have wanted your younger self to know, value, and believe as you reflect on that? (laughs) I had the worst (laughs) self-confidence. It was funny because I've talked to my mom a lot about this because in particular, I have a pretty decent resting bitch face for, sorry to swear on this, but it's been something that has been there for for years. And it's something I have to be very self-aware of in certain situations because, again, I'm just evaluating the the situation. And so (laughs) with that came this perception of confidence and an ego even, you know, and I remember somebody saying something to my mom about, Candace is just so confident. And my mom's like, no. Like she's not like she is, you know, I, I was the child who beat myself up more than what my parents would probably ever discipline Uh me for, you know, on the field, it was never good enough. Nothing was ever good enough. I felt really lacking. I felt incapable of, of anything. And so if I can let myself know anything is that I will get there, Uh but it's, it's going to take work. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's some of the things that, you know, when we suddenly have some of those light bulb moments, and I still have them to this day, the light bulb of like, oh, I am this, I am able to do this. You know, those those are even, you know, happening on a regular basis today uh-huh. is that it does happen in a light bulb, but the light bulb is a piece of it. It's the, then the belief in the information it's the application of it and it's the reflection of it and really absorbing that into the confidence that I can I can be something and I think sport where it's so focused on a result that is positive right you need to win right and therefore anything you're doing that is not contributing towards success is a negative, right? And so your weaknesses, you have to, and and honestly, it's it's part of me even tactically planning my games out for my players. Where are we tactically weak? And I have to cover up, I have to adjust, I have to allow for, you know, something to fix that space. Because if my opponent knows it's weak, they're going to expose it, right? That's a tactical coaching decision. So if that's the way you think as an athlete, Imagine what that's coming through in your own self-confidence and your empowerment. People cannot know my weakness because if they know my weakness, then I'm seen not as tough, not as strong, and I have the ability to be beat, which is a good athletic mindset to have. You know, your weaknesses exist. 
but we don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. And we don't talk about the fact that it's okay to say this is a weak part of your game because everything is always about improve the weaknesses. And I will never forget one of the most like kind of jaw dropping moments was I think I was in eighth grade or ninth grade and I was at a camp. And I remember somebody saying, and I had never heard this before. I'm 14, 15, never heard anybody say, what you are best at, bring it every single day. As a coach, the thing you you are so proud of yourself for, I, as a coach, want to know and see that every day. And I thought that was such a mind shift that was like, wait, they're actually looking at what I do well? Hmm. Right. It hadn't occurred because everything was always about what had to get better, what wasn't good enough, what can improve. And maybe it wasn't always in like a negative, demanding, screaming way, but that's a lot of times what the conversation centered around. And so if you're an athlete trying to minimize your weaknesses, not expose those because you're going to get defeated and everything has always been about what is not yet good enough to get you towards the success, you're going to operate that way in life. I am trying to shift that in the players I work with, the people I work with is, what's your superpower? Let's find that and let's let's keep that piece first in the forefront of what we're going to do because we can use that for the best and the betterment of you, the best of the team and what we're trying to achieve instead of highly focusing on the things that need to get better because those things will with support and recognition and the allowance of having a weakness. And that's where yeah. I've really... I try to role model that with with a lot of things I do is like, this is not my thing and I need support <laughs> and I need resources in order for me to succeed at it. And that's okay. That's <laughs> not a bad thing. That's just what kind of makes me, me. Yeah, um, exactly. And only like allowing people to own, see that in you, you own it. And it's not like a character deficit or something like that, if there's an area you need to work on, but like leading from the strength-based approach of what is it that you're good at, that you're most proud of, let's go there and then we'll develop the other stuff. I think it's really important to say not because this is something that hopefully is not new, but if it's new, it's important that confidence can be developed. And mm-hmm. I don't think we as as young girls know that. We think that like, oh, we're either born with it or not. And like, oh, I'm envious of that person who has it. And I'm just going to sit over here and like, do this other thing. But that self-confidence, right, can be developed in lots of different ways. And you were doing it without even realizing, I think, by like bringing in positive self-talk, like I am able. Yeah. (laughs) I am fearless. I am capable. (laughs) I can do this, even though sometimes I don't feel like I can or want to do it. 100%. (laughs) Right? But self-talk is a big part of it. And there are other mental tools that you know, I work on with my clients, my team at the Oakland Roots to continue to build that self-confidence and sustain it even through the deepest of adversity. Yeah. And that's key. I think it's so, so key. And I think what you're hitting on right there, the the deepest adversity, you know that's coming in life and sport. Yeah. It hits you, whether you yep. expect it or see it coming or not. And that work you do is the biggest. And I think I related it on a a workshop event I had for Fearless and Capable last month. And I related it to a trampoline. My trampoline, what I bounce back from, the core of that is my values, my principles of the self-awareness that I've worked really hard to have so that when I feel that absolute free fall where I don't feel in control of what's going to happen next, I have the confidence I will bounce back because I have these things that are going to kind of trampoline me back. But that took years. And honestly, I had I have great parents. Parents uh-huh. that didn't put me down. I had supportive parents that encouraged me. 
So I didn't, you know, I, I know I'm fortunate and privileged in that way. I, I don't take that for granted. I know that that's something that is not always, you know, everybody's story. But I think, you know, the reality is that sport can be a build of character and it can also bring character down even with the other areas of life being okay. If we don't yeah. change what sport does on a mental side is is huge. And like you said, when it faces the biggest areas of adversity, what are we setting them up to to be able to manage when that happens? Yes, yes. I know you have a young son and a young daughter. They're coming up in this world. Maybe they're going to be high-level athletes, maybe not. But based on your lived experience and and who you are, what would you want them to know about how to be themselves, show up and like be proud of who they are? Yeah. What would you, like, if you were going to tell them like a little, like tuck them in and just say like a couple words of affirmation or support or like, what would those words be? <laughs> Not to be corny, but it, it it's fearless and capable. I mean, it is, and it's such a, it means a lot. And here's why. My son is, He's not in a soccer. Uh, we tried that route and I had to eat my own words of why are you pushing something that they obviously have no interest in? And I was kind of pushing it. I wasn't kind of, I was. Uh, Been there, done that, me too. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, there is this, this piece of your identity that you're like, they've got to have it because they came from me, right? And why in any way is that real when I look at my parents and go, well, I'm glad I'm not that way and you're that way. You know, like we, it's, it's right. not common right. sense. You look at it, right. but he is one of the most creative individuals I've ever met. And I absolutely love watching what he creates. But to be frank, he's so different in personality and motivations in his own thought process and, and every not every way, shape, and form, but it's a lot different from me. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I'll, I'll be frank, I was scared. I was scared. I was the one fearful of what I was going to be capable of doing for him as a mm -hmm. mother. You know, it's been a lot of work to be okay knowing I struggle to at times relate to what he's doing. And so that means instead of me being what should be the the power influence is sitting back and just looking and learning with him or from him yeah and it's it it took a mind shift because i was sitting in my own fear and he was over there being fearless right <laughs> you know? and and he still is and he's mm -hmm. amazingly him own, his own self and you know he's unique and he does get bullied and made fun of, but I feel like in some capacity, I might be doing something halfway decently because he goes, and we talked about this the other night, he goes, mom, some people like me and some people don't. And it's just what it is. I'm okay with it. People don't oh like me God. and I'm all right. People that, and I was like, okay, I can breathe. I'm yeah, doing right, something. Right. Um, and then I go to my daughter who is way more like me, which is okay. almost sometimes harder because it's like, okay, don't be too much. <laughs> I can see what can happen. But when we talk about that confidence to kind of advocate, speak up that willingness yeah. to say something is wrong that I, I struggled with, I was, <laughs> as her teacher said to me, she's an incredibly respectful, bright young woman. Hmm. And she's got some spitfire in her. Hmm. Yeah, she does. And there was a there was an instance at school where there was something happening at recess from an adult supervisor 
that was trying to, at the core of the why, was to try to get more kids interacting and moving during recess. But he was implementing these rules that really were enforceful of certain activity that if recess is genuinely free play and the intent is the choices that these young kids can make. Mm-hmm. And that's really the behind the reason. She goes, he's making me play a game I've never agreed to play. And it's a time that I'm allowed to choose what I want to play. And that's not right. So she went in without me knowing about this, went into the teachers and told the teachers, this is what's happening at recess. This is what we're being told. This is what he's doing. I don't think it's right because it's a time I get to choose what I want to do. And he's forcing me and forcing others. And people don't like it, but they're afraid to say something. And (laughs) I was like, but I mean, we can laugh. I mean, it's so awesome, but we can laugh day and night about how amazing that is. But if we, we realize that she can transfer that ability and those skills and that mindset to any aspect of her life, recess or no, later on, like in a situation where someone is not allowing her to be herself and putting restraint on her, she knows how to, she's having experience and practice about how to talk about it. Like, well, that's coming, that's coming this year after the articles all broke and the public part of it, because we really hadn't had an internal conversation with the kids about what happened to mommy. There'd be times they saw me crying. That would be at the root of why I was crying with something mm-hmm. in regards to this. And so we would leave it to the simple fact of somebody hurt mommy, because that's really what we could probably even get something relatable to them to understand right. why mommy was sad. But now that we've been able to articulate to them that somebody did something bad, somebody touched mommy, mommy's now saying that's not a good thing. Like mommy's going to talk up about it. We're going to talk about it here. And so, I mean, really we didn't go, hey, you need to go be this way because mommy's yeah. doing those. Yeah. It honestly just came down to role modeling. And I think that's the part that I realized that I don't have to be this like, word head or you know whatever word salad to them constantly about the ways they need to be if i can role model it it's probably going to have a deeper meaning and that's what i've been trying to do and i sound like i've kind of got this stuff figured out at least i literally fail every every day at something as a parent but i do tell people that like it is if i can sit and be reflective that's the best space i can spend my time in because i'm actually learning things about myself and them and that's it's just amazing and I still screw up and I'm okay with it a lot better now than I was a couple of years ago. So that's, yeah, that's we're all good. figuring it out, right? We all yeah. mess day in and day out. And there are a lot of things that when reflection, we could have done better. And then we have to give ourselves like understanding and grace in that because, you know, we're learning as we parent. There's not like the right thing to do. And each kid is different. You know, I have well, yeah. myself, right? Like they're like two different beings. I'm like, who yeah. the hell are you sometimes? And like, <laughs> wow. And as yeah. soon as you figure out one phase, they're into the next. Exactly. Exactly. But the beautiful part of it is like they teach us about ourselves. They teach us how to be yeah. with them. They teach us how to be in this world. And then it, it's symbiotic, right? We role model, but then coming from their teaching. So right. I can't appreciate you enough. I mean, you're doing a great job. I love your humility. I love your humor. I love, you know, just being you, being in your energy helps us, me, all of us be in our own and to embrace that with its all of its beautiful imperfections. And, you know, I wish you all the best with Fearless and Capable. It's an amazing program and all the endeavors. And I, I look forward to seeing you soon in person and yeah. just thank you for everything that you've shared and everything that you have thought about so deeply and it touches all of us and you're changing 
the next generation of athletes, the next generation of humans by being yourself. And that's all I would ever ask my kids to be. That's all I ask myself to be on a daily basis. So thank you for being an ally in that and (laughs) just all of who you are, Candace. I I can't appreciate you enough. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is one thing I've had to work on is accepting compliments. And so thank you, Lisa. I do. And you know, I think what is is so empowering and you know, we're all the good and bad that comes from social media. You know, the fact of the matter that, you know, a network like women in soccer that brought us together and finding out and learning more about what's happening with you and what you're doing, you know, on day in, day out spaces within, you know, a team environment and then, you know, nationally what you're doing and even then how it can impact the groups I work with. It's a beauty what we can do when we we really put ourselves out and say, here's who I am and what I believe and the people that we actually can gravitate towards. And so I'm I feel very fortunate that you somehow, some way got brought into the space that I was in. And you know, we were able to connect and really understand what's going on and you know in each other's worlds and and how we're trying to make something better. So right back at you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Candace. I appreciate you. And I look forward to many, many more conversations. Again, appreciate you very, very much. Yeah, thank you. Athlete Mindset is part of the CASource Podcast Network. At CASource, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CazSource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CazSource Podcast Network.